right. Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Chronicles, the podcast where we highlight businesses of small uh, sizes all the way up to larger businesses. And we talk about the journey of how they got there. I'm your guest host today, filling in for Ryan Shear. I'm Brian Stone. I'm a serial entrepreneur and podcast host for our network. Um, primarily, I come from the real estate space, um, but I'm a business coach and, and owner of multiple businesses. And I'm super excited to talk to our guest today because um, he is he is really unique in the space. Uh, it, it's a it's a PR and and uh, promotion company for you know authors that want to get to the right listeners or uh, readers, I should say. Uh, you can tell I'm used to podcasting, and then um, readers who are trying to connect to the right authors. So. Um, I, I would butcher an introduction, Nick, so I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about yourself and why our listeners should be excited to hear you today. Sure, Brian. Well, I'm excited for the opportunity. Thank you for guest hosting me today. So as you mentioned, I own an agency called Book Thinkers. We help authors promote and market their books, and we sort of live at the intersection of social media, podcasting, and personal development. And so our services include short form video production, podcast booking, social media management, book reviews for our community, and a whole bunch more. And then on the reader side of things, we have a community of about 200,000 nonfiction readers, and they look to us for daily recommendations on business subjects, personal finance, health and fitness, mindset, and everything in between, some philosophy, some psychology. I'm just a total book nerd. And then I actually just released my first book as well. It's called Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn. So I'm also in real estate, funny enough. We're both we're both That's there. Amazing. I've invested in a couple of multifamily properties too, in case you're interested in discussing those. But yeah, I'm a total business book junkie and I love all subjects related to business books. Love that. Uh, yeah. So I, I know we're going to have a great conversation because we have a lot in common. So yeah, my, my wife is actually an author and yeah, I... I I can relate. To, I could, we could talk about real estate all day, but I have a different show that's focused on real estate. So I'm going to try not to bleed into it too much since I'm a guest host for today. But um, I mean, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, how you got to where you are. Like what what was the gap in the marketplace that you saw that really sparked you to, to create this kind of interconnected company that really um, hits a lot of the pain points that I'm sure authors are, are experiencing? When I was growing up, I was not much of a reader, which might surprise anybody that can see my background today. I've got like a thousand books behind me. I was more of the athlete stereotype, not really much of the academic. I mean, you couldn't pay me to do my homework or read a book when I was in high school. And that sort of behavior followed me through most of my college experience as well. But I took an internship at a local software company going into my senior year. And very early into that experience, the sales director, Kyle, he took an interest in helping me out. I mean, I think he saw this 20-year-old sort of know-it-all who had more potential. And so he actually recommended podcasts. That's where I started. So I started listening to shows where successful people were being interviewed in all different types of industries and talking about what they did to become successful. And very quickly, I realized that most of them were giving at least some credit for their success to the books that they were reading. And nobody had introduced this to me before. I mean, none of my friends were reading personal development or business style material. So I went to my local Barnes and Noble one day. I grabbed a stack of books and the rest is history. I've been reading 50, 60, 70 books a year ever since. Now, where the business idea came from 
was that as I started to read these books, it was sort of a lonely experience. I mean, I wasn't connected to very many people, again, who were reading and consuming and wanting to talk about this material. So I got together with a couple of my friends and we said, let's build a platform where we can talk about this type of material and see who else out there on the internet is interested in personal development and business books. And so the original inspiration for the business was actually going to be a mobile application, sort of like a social media around personal development books, where you could log your favorite takeaways from books, enter them into this repetition queue and be reminded so that you don't forget your favorite takeaways. Now, long story short, that never came to fruition. But in anticipation of launching it, we really put a lot of effort into growing social media. So when it failed, we were left with this large group of readers on social media who love seeing book recommendations, but we didn't have a monetization scheme. And so I can continue the story from there, but I want to pause because I know I've been talking for a few minutes. No, 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 that's perfect. I, I, um, I can nerd out on business and, and building those funnels and, and all, all day long. Um, but I, I, I love that, that it started as something different and then it became uh, what it is today. And I think that that's a story that we've seen a lot in the interviews, the conversations that we've had with small Small to medium to large size businesses. I mean, it it's it's never a clear path, right? It's not a you know, you do A then B then C then D, right? Um, because you have to respond as a business owner um, to whatever the market is telling you, right? Um, so I know for me, like you know, I took a typical path of okay, I'm going to go to school for uh, music education, and and I want to be a band director and do all of that stuff, and then perform, and then you know that that naturally led me to HR and retail, and then business consulting, and then real estate, and now uh, podcasting. So you know your typical <laughs> rung of the ladder path. So I, I mean, I I think while uh, that may seem a little bit um, off, um, I think a lot of people can connect with that. So. Um, I mean, how, give me, give me a sense of scale. So like how, how many, how many, uh, people do you have on staff for your company now? How many authors are you guys working with? Um, you know, I know you mentioned a little bit about your, your, uh, your reader base. You've got that large, you know, social group that's already, already present. Um, how, you know, how large are you guys at scale and how long did it take for you to get there? Sure. So, um, in 2017 is when I first established the business legally. 2017, 2018, we tried to build that mobile application that failed. 2019 is when we were just left with this large social media audience, but really no way to monetize it. I started monetizing it in the beginning of 2019 because a few authors actually reached out to me organically and said, how much do you charge for a book review? And I thought, well, this is interesting. There's an inbound demand for something that I hadn't conceptualized yet. I didn't plan for this monetization strategy. So I started to follow up with those authors. Hey, how can I get involved? How else can I help you? Let me try some stuff out. Why are you paying for book reviews? What are the problems that you're looking to solve? And I really got to know my target customer. So over the years, I think, you know, 2019, 2020, we probably worked with 50 authors each year. 2021, 2022, maybe getting up closer to that 100 number. This year, we worked with maybe close to 200 authors, helping them promote and market their books. Um, so it's grown quite a bit. And I have 10 people on my team between full-time staff and part-time and um, you know a wide range of responsibilities. But it's growing. Um, we've doubled year over year now for three years in a row. And I can't wait to see what happens next year. And that's all in the nonfiction uh, space, correct? Right, right. 
Cool. And, and you know, I mean, that's, uh, I, I think that that is, um, I mean, that that's, that's huge because, uh, you know, leaders are readers, right? As a business owner, I can tell you that every part of every growth plan for everybody on my team is their reading plan, right? So what, what, what are we listening to? You know, whether it's some of the classics like Think and Grow Rich, whether it's some of the classics like, you know, Jay Papazan talking about the one thing, which is obviously real estate related. So I, I appeal to that. Um, I've whether, had coffee with Jay. He's, he's amazing. Oh, Jay's incredible. Yeah. I, I, I'm fortunate enough to have met with him multiple times when we have our large conferences, cause I still have a, a real estate team, but yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, and his, and his wife, Wendy is amazing. So, um, and they have a podcast too, and, and, and are still authoring multiple books, but you know, that nonfiction space, it, it almost seems like it's, um, like it's so big that it should be saturated. But what I find is there is this thirst for knowledge in the space, um, that, that is probably, you know, seen firsthand in, how quickly you built your community of, of readers that were constantly looking for ways to feed their mindset in business or in their personal life. So I, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And I, I think the reason that we work primarily with nonfiction authors is because a lot of times these authors are using their book as a lead mechanism for some type of higher ticket complimentary product or service like coaching, consulting, mm -hmm. real estate, courses, speaking. I mean, there are all types of things that, that people can purchase after they get involved with an author and read their material and want to get into their community. And so there's more money to spend compared to the traditional fiction, science fiction, you know, love novels, whatever. Like there, there really aren't big businesses built on the back of those books. And so any ROI from marketing spend would have to come back through the book. And there's not a ton of money coming directly from books. But also, like you mentioned, I, I love this space because although I've read hundreds and hundreds of these books, I find something new in every single one that I read. And growth, personal growth is a never-ending experience, right? You find joy in the process of making improvements, not in any type of specific outcome. And I think these books are the best mechanism to get there. I think podcasting is a great way to learn as well because authors spend decades learning something and then they condense decades of lived experience and great life lessons into days of consumption for the reader. So it's like mm -hmm. the best life hack ever. You don't have to learn through your own experience. You can learn through the experience of other people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I am curious, though, um, as I'm sure some of the people listening are. So so what's the relationship between you, the author, and the publisher? Uh, and what percentage of your authors are actually doing self Self-publishing versus working with a traditional uh, publishing company, because I know that there it, PR is an aspect of those contracts, right? But oftentimes it's lacking when it comes to social, right? Or, or oftentimes there's even an expectation for publishers to choose authors that already have a presence online, right? So, so where do you fit in the mix? Yeah, that's a great question. It's evolved over time. I mean, a lot of my original business came directly from small publishers looking to round out their marketing and PR support and, and to help differentiate from some of the bigger publishers because you're right. Uh, traditional publishers stink at the social media side of PR. They still rely heavily on traditional PR. I mean, you still see billboards and newspaper ads and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and social media is volatile and it's always changing. And so people don't want to invest in it. I sort of grew up at the right time where I think that I was old enough, mature enough, and capable enough to 
run a business and to work with these people and deliver great results, but also be young enough to have grown up in social media and be very sort of versatile and adapt to it. Uh, so in the beginning, a lot of business came directly from traditionally published books. But over time, I've found that hybrid or self-published books, we do much better with because those people make more money per book. And so there's more of a direct ROI that comes from the actual book itself. And those people have more control over their IP, right? They keep the rights to their book. And so they can sure. build off the back of the book with more leeway. Uh, they have agency over speaking or courses or consulting or coaching, whereas traditionally published authors, they've got to kick a share of that back to the actual uh, publisher or sometimes a percentage of the revenue or the decision making. And that just kind of bogs things down. So I say today we're probably 33% traditional, 33% hybrid, meaning they paid to play the game. Somebody developed the book professionally, but they kept their own IP and royalties or self where they just did the entire experience themselves. Gotcha. That's cool. So, so I, and I, I appreciate you doing that clarification because, you know, I think a lot of authors are really good at what they do and what they do is not necessarily PR work, right? Or social media management, right? It's, do I want to learn another skill or do I want, do I want to leverage that skill? And I think that that's one thing that we've talked about. And, and I know Ryan has talked about on the show is leverage because business leverage is so critical because it keeps you doing the activities that you need to be doing. You know, big call back to Jay, right? He talks about doing the one thing, the Pareto principle, the 80, 20 rule, all, all of that stuff, right? If, if, if you're an author and you're really fantastic at taking your life experience and condensing that into a way that's digestible and practical and actionable, then why are you spending so much time learning a new skill to uh, learn what you know how to, how to how to hack the the algorithm and TikTok and know and know where your what your target audience is and what or what marketing persona should you be uh, trying to to build out and focus on your your uh, your AdWords or you know whatever like whatever it is right. Uh, and I know I'm speaking all over the place there, but I think that um, there's so many distractions that can that can happen. Uh, and I see this with my wife. You know, she's an author, and it is incredibly impressive to me the mental energy that she has to spend just to focus on getting getting her project off the ground, writing. You know, think you know think the actual activity of writing the word count. I mean, she she probably puts out 2000 words a day on a typical day. Um, and very little of that actually ends up being in the final product. So I, I know that she, it keeps her up at night being anxious about, Oh, well now I have to have a following and a platform and I have to have people that watch me and I've got to be an online influencer on top of being an author. And that's just not realistic. Right. Right. And I, I sort of say it like this, launching a book is a team sport. Being an yeah. author is a team sport. Writers should write, marketers should market. Not only do should we look at leverage as far as the value of an activity, so learning a new skill and doing your own social media, that's a poorly leveraged activity for an author. They get the most leverage from actually producing a, a piece of content that can be sold. But it also drains energy. Like if you don't like your social, if you don't like doing social media, it is an energy suck and it's a drain and it's a distraction. So I've found that leverage as far as energy leverage is relative. 
Like you can outsource your social media to people that genuinely enjoy it. Like mm-hmm. we do at book yeah. thinkers. And so everybody's happier. Um, it frees up more time for you to write and it, you know, for us, it adds revenue and we get to in, enjoy doing what we enjoy doing, which is producing really cool content for social media and making it a more positive and, and socially constructive place. So yeah, there's, there's like business leverage, like financial leverage and time leverage, but there's also energy leverage, which I think a lot of people ignore sometimes. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. It, it takes a different kind of energy when you're, uh, when you're doing something that's not, uh, in your skill set or your, 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 your mindset, right? Because, uh, it, it's like, like me, I don't like bookkeeping. I, I don't like bookkeeping. I'm happy to hire a bookkeeper. Um, because me too. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I know how to do it, but that's not my highest and best use. And it drains me. It drains me. So, uh, you know, I want to shift a little bit about, uh, I want to shift from, from talking about what you do, uh, externally to what you do internally, if that's okay, Nick, because, sure. um, there has got to be some, some lessons that you've learned along the way being in the PR space, because it is a moving target. So, uh, and, and I know that there's other business owners that, that listen to, to our show that would love to have your insight into how you how you keep on target with a moving target. So can you, can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you've seen and and what, what you've done to overcome those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a big shift for me over the last couple of years has been to create more space to study the industry instead of doing the work and executing within it. Right. So working on my business instead of in my business, which is a concept that I'm sure Jay talks about in the one thing. It's been a while since I've read it, but so many great authors. Yeah. (laughs) that talk about the Pareto principle, you know, Tim Ferriss and Greg McEwen and all those guys. It's it's important to work on your business instead of in your business. And what that means is you have to delegate. You have to grow your team. You have to delegate things that are lower impact and more technical in nature to other people so that you can free up time as a business owner to study trends and study the industry and interview people and see what's working and analyze data. And that's the type of stuff that a lot of people are too burned out at the end of the day to pay attention to. And that's when you end up getting left behind. There's a great book I read recently called 10X is Better Than 2X or something that's, like that by Dr. I, Benjamin Hardy. I actually just read that one recently too. So yeah, but no, go ahead. I, I don't want to steal your thunder because that's a great Oh, book. no. The, one, of the, one of the great questions in that book was, okay, imagine you had to 10X your revenue. What would your day look like internally on a day-to-day basis? Well, Immediately, most small business owners realize when they start to journal on that question that none of their existing workload could survive if they also had to be managing a business that was 10 times bigger than the one they're managing. And it forces you to delegate. It forces you to outsource or automate or eliminate most of what's currently on your plate. And so I try to go through that exercise uh, or exercises similar to that all the time. I mean, there's a great thing that I read about recently and and I've been doing for a while. So I actually read about it a while ago, uh, which is a calendar energy audit. You look at your calendar a few weeks back and in Google, I use Google Calendar and you change the actual meetings from a few weeks back to red if they took your energy, yellow if they were neutral or green if they brought you energy. So I I pay a lot of attention to energy. You could do the same thing with leverage. You could do the same thing with revenue 
all sorts of things. And then you look at your red and your yellows and you have to find a way to automate, delegate, or eliminate them. Get them off your plate so that you can focus on your business. Have better conversations about growth, about the industry, about catching that moving target. Because the information's available. It's just you have to have the energy to go out there and find it. Yeah, I, I, I love that you highlighted that, Nick. You know, one of my coaches called it LOPE. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure he got it from say, L-O-P-E, leverage other people's energy, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are other people that are more energetic around doing that stuff. Yeah. And it, yeah, you're right. Energy audits aren't new. Um, you know, where, what, that, what that brought up, and again, another nonfiction book, uh, uh, have you read the, the uh, six, working, six Types of Working Geniuses? No, I haven't. It's so it's Patrick Lencioni, um, you know, big name author. He, you know, he. Yeah, I've he, read his Five Dysfunctions. Yeah, Five Dysfunctions of a Team is yeah, that's probably the one he's most known for. Um, and this is a more recent one, but it talks about um, in the book. It talks about whether you're a galvanizer or whether you are or have the the working genius of wonder and invention versus tenacity, which is getting things across the finish line. And it talks about not only that, but what are the things that drain you. And it's the same. It's, you know, green, yellow, red, easy concept. It's essentially a, a, f- a format that tells you the types of tasks that fit in line with your different energy, whether you gain it, you're neutral, or it drains you. Um, and I, I know for, for, our, uh, for our business, we went through that as a team and we actually broke it down. And, uh, you know, I, I, I paid for the assessment for, for all my team to take it. One of those add-on services, right, for authors, right, because they, it's usually uh, backing something else. But it was hugely uh, eye-opening because what we realized is, oh, dang, we don't have enough people in the tenacity uh, genius, meaning we're all kind of splitting duties and doing it, but we run the risk of burning out if we're doing the kind of activities that take take more energy than, they, uh, than it gives, right? So, uh, good book. You should definitely read it. Um, I knew we would talk about uh, sharing books, Nick. So I, I, was, I was prepped for that. I was like, oh, we're definitely going to be tossing out all kinds of titles and adding to people's reading list. So, yeah, my, my kind of tagline at Book Thinkers is the right book at the right time can change your life. Absolutely. You know, now that I've sort of started building a personal brand around implementation as well, you know, with, with my separate book, Rise of the Reader, I've kind of added on the right book at the right time can change your life if you implement it effectively. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it, right? Uh, I, was in a, I was in a course the other day and um, it was another uh, fellow coach of mine. And he said that education without implementation is simply entertainment. Exactly. Yeah, it is. And, and I think that it's really easy to be entertained by some of the business books and say, oh, that's a great concept. Um, but oftentimes it's just not put into practice. It doesn't have to be 100%, right? I'll take one concept from one book at the right time in the right place and it'll fundamentally change my business. I don't have to implement the whole system, but I have to do something and get into action. Yeah. You mentioned thinking real rich or listening to it, I think, earlier. Uh, you know, there's a great quote in that book. Action is the real measure of intelligence. Action is Mm -hmm. the real measure of intelligence. So it's like, you know, people used to say knowledge is power, but now it's like the application of knowledge is power. So I'm happy that we're starting to wake up to it. But in my industry, there are a lot of personal development junkies who just go from book to book to book to conference to conference to conference, and they don't do anything with them. And I am trying to solve that problem. Uh, you know, both from the author perspective, helping authors make their books a little bit more actionable is something that's becoming a passion of mine. But then also from the reader side, you need to know how to effectively read and implement a book. It, it's a skill. 
It, it absolutely it is. is a skill. You're right, Nick. I mean, and 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 one that we don't often see taught or or talked about. So I love that your that your approach uh, is 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 making people better readers and implementers, not simply better learners. So. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and I'm just curious, uh, I, this is a totally loaded question, but what would you say is the most influential nonfiction book that, that, that you've read? Like if you think about all, all the books that you, you know, 50 to 50 to 60 to 70 a year, right? What's the one book that would be a standout that you would say has had the largest impact on your life and in your business? Well, I'll have to cheat and give three. Uh, At different milestones for different reasons. So number one, the first book that I ever read, right? When I went to that local Barnes and Noble trip and I grabbed a stack of books and I decided to read one. If it wasn't this book that I'm about to mention, I may not have fallen into the industry. So by default, it has had the biggest impact because every book after that has followed it, which was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I think that in the real estate space, you probably hear that name all the time. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have a number of conversations with Sharon Lecter, who originally co-wrote the book with Robert Kiyosaki. And she told me that that book has been sold over 35 million times. Um, And I was thanking her for writing it because I said, hey, it changed my life. It helped me build a business. And she said, no, pat yourself on the back. 35 million copies have been sold. Who knows how many times the book has been read. But a very small fraction of people have actually used that book to change their life. Mm -hmm. And so... That was the book that got me into the space. The second one that I'll shout out, which I read about a year later, is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Love that. And that book reinforced the idea that reality is negotiable and we're all capable of designing a life that fits our unique needs. And more people need to hear that. There are so many people that work a job they hate in an industry they just barely tolerate. And there's more out there. Like We're capable of doing more. And that book woke me up in a big way. And the last book that I'll mention, I read about a year and a half ago, which was $100 Million Offers by Alex Hormozzi. And that book added an additional, and I'm not exaggerating, that book added an additional six figures in revenue to my small business within a couple of months. And that's pretty meaningful for a small business. And so talk about return on investment, $20, a half-hearted implementation, and a few hours of my time later, six figures of revenue, right? So um, amazing book on offer structure, offer creation, value adds, things like that. Love that. Uh, So I'll I'll respond with your three and give you two. So I'm breaking my own rules here. (laughs) Uh, So I I would say for uh, for me, um, uh, as far as a mindset book, uh, which is really the beginning of anything, uh, The Four Agreements. um, So good, yeah. you know, and, and it's not a business book per se, but but it really talks about, you know, being impeccable with your word and, and doing your best every day with the understanding that every day is different. And and so you have to you have to be where your energy is at there. And then my favorite one is, you know, don't don't take things personally, right? Mm-hmm. Because um you know, it, it's 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 not about you, and, and I think that that kind of steeled me and prepared me for the world of business. Uh, and and it's it's I've given away the copy more copies of that book, and my professional career than anything else, 
even in the real estate space. And and I've got all the real estate books behind me. You know, I work I work with uh, with Keller Williams. That's actually the brokerage where I hang my license. And so I've got the the millionaire real estate agent. I've got the millionaire real estate investor flip hold all of those right the one thing but that book is huge um and then i would say the second one um is is honestly the uh the 12 hour work week um because similar to uh or, or the 12 week year excuse me not the 4 hour work week yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i like that book year. too yeah it's a yeah, good so, one yeah so so similar concept between the uh the 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 the, the 4 hour work week because um, it, it's all about condensing. And I found that um, all work expands to fill the time allowed, right? And so putting some parameters around what you want to accomplish um, is how you can do more with, you know, the same hours and every week and every day that everybody else has than what your competitors do, than what your, you know, other people in the industry do, because it's all about having the right focus. So um, those two have been huge for me for sure um, yeah awesome two great books yeah i yeah. love those well and i know that we could talk about books all day long we're kind of getting it close to our time nick so i want to make sure that i'm, I'm thoughtful and i give you a chance to to kind of uh um uh, tell tell our listeners what's what's going on in your world what's most important so if if they've enjoyed the conversation or they want to know more if it's an author that is maybe on that journey and wants wants to employ you for services or or a reader that's interested in connecting with what you have to offer, where, where can I get a hold of you? The best place for both is bookthinkers.com or bookthinkers on Instagram. Our website uh, is probably a better fit for authors and our Instagram channel is a great fit for both. On Instagram, we post a new piece of nonfiction book-related content every single day. We have been for years and years, and there's such a vibrant, interactive community over there, so I highly recommend checking it out. And then for readers as well, if you are looking to implement more from the books you're reading, then check out my new release, Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn. Because I have learned how to effectively implement every book that I read, um, there are a number of mindset shifts around personal development books in there that I think everybody would find valuable as well. So um, I'll, I'll send you that link, Brian, so you can have uh, the team throw it in the, in the show notes as well. Awesome. That'd be fantastic. Well, again, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, Nick. Uh, I always like talking uh, business and books and and uh, I, I, I just want to thank you for being a guest and, and spending time with me today. Um, and Thank if you. you guys, yeah, absolutely. If you guys liked what you hear and you want uh, more information from Nick, make sure to follow him. Um, if you enjoyed uh, hearing about his journey and how he's grown his business and you want to hear more stories like that, make sure that you tune in wherever great po podcasts can be heard and you check us out online. So thanks, guys. Have a great day.